Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars Podcast, and I'm your only host tonight, Nate. Tony's still at work, and we have the odd man. I am super stoked to have you, man. I, I found your show probably, I don't know, a few months ago, and you know a couple friends of mine, too, so, uh, so I heard about you. And um, so Moral Bob, Moral oh, Bob's yeah. a homie of mine. And, awesome. uh, and then I talked to Colt Rejects not that long ago, the New York Patriot. He's a cool guy. Um, so yeah, so I know a couple of your friends there. And so I've been wanting to have you on and I reached out to you and I'm really stoked to have you, man. And, um, I've been listening to your Fabian, uh, socialist, uh, series that you did and dude, it was blowing me away. It was great. And so I definitely want to talk about that tonight. Uh, do you want to tell, uh, everybody or my audience a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Yeah. So I'm the odd man out. Um, I do a pod I try to do it every couple of weeks. Sometimes I get behind, but it's called the Oddcast, featuring the Odd Man Out, and you guys can find that on Podbean. It's uh, the Odd Man Out dot uh, Social media underscore the Odd Man Out on both Twitter and Instagram, and I also have a Patreon. If people want to check that out, it is patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. So I try to put some extra stuff on there. I give people the shows at least a week or so early. So yeah, man, looking forward to talking with you. Awesome, dude. Awesome. So man, as I was listening to, so I definitely heard of Fabian socialism before and I had, and I had uh, done a little bit of research into it, but dude, you kind of, you kind of blew me away. You were reading like source text and like through their words and, man, that is absolutely crazy. And it, like, so, so, so many times I like try to think of like, who's actually in charge. And we'll talk about that later too. We can, we can speculate and things like that. But like it, to me, you really blew the lid off of it. I really think it's just a group of these crazy a-holes that are just trying to take <laughs> over, trying to take over the world. Like the, like the little tortoise, man. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, uh, same as you, I'd heard about them here and there, just heard the name briefly mentioned, uh, every now and then in a book, I'd hear it the same. They might have a short paragraph about them. And I just decided, you know what, I want to really check these guys out and see if there's anything significant about them. And I was like, like you blown away that there was such a rich history there and they were so important I think in politics, even up to today, um, and I guess I could fill in your audience if they're not familiar, uh, they were a group from Britain and they formed in 1884. And uh, it was basically a bunch of kind of well-to-do upper middle class kids for the most part, or I say kids, but like 20 somethings. And they were kind of rebelling against the Victorian era, you know, their family and the excess of that whole thing which is somewhat understandable and normal, you know, but they were also, most of them were very intelligent. And I think that may be one of the things that really makes them different and has made them so influential, even though people don't know the name um, because they started out immediately. They were like, well, we're going to write pamphlets 
and put our information in there. We're going to try to make converts. And that's what they did right off the bat. They would go around and speak anywhere they could. And they kind of had connections here and there. Like one of the guys was a stockbroker. Uh, he was like a lower level, but uh, he had some connections. They all had connections to people that were in government in the in Britain there at the time, for the most part. And if they didn't have connections to those people, they had connections to people that knew them. So basically, this, they, they were oh, mostly rich kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. They okay. were pretty well to do. Yeah. And that, of course, didn't hurt at all because, you know, it takes money to, to do anything. But um, they really didn't make money at first. They were really barely getting by the first couple of years and printing their tracks and things like that. And uh, we'll get to it in a few minutes. But if anybody wants to read the tracks, they have kept those since 1884. And you can find them all in PDF form on the London School of Economics website. So I think if you just go on there and uh, punch up uh, Fabian Society, I think it'll bring up the tracks. But um, prolific writers, um, a couple of years into it, pro probably the most well-known and prolific member of the Fabian Society, besides H.G. Wells, uh, was, um, well, actually, I I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but you had George Bernard Shaw. He was probably the most well-known. Uh, you know, he was a playwright, and uh, he wrote books, And uh, but he wasn't from England. I think he was from, if I remember correctly, he was from uh, Ireland, and he came over and became a big hit immediately. This guy must have been a real character because from everything I've read, he was very charismatic and everybody kind of wanted to be around him. Very funny. Um, but the other people that started it were uh, Edward R. Pease was one. I think he wrote the history of the Fabians, the first uh, early history. Uh, one of the ones that was, I think, uh, really interesting was Annie Bizant. And she was the second... Uh, she was in, uh, in charge of the Theos Theosophical Society. She took over for mm. Blavatsky. So that's kind of an interesting one there. That is fascinating, man. So Theosophy, is that um, – that was Madame Bl Blavatsky. And it, that uh, Theosophy is also connected to uh, – what's his name, right? Um, why can't I think of his name? The most evil man in the world. What's uh, uh, Aleister Crowley, correct? Is Theosophy uh, directly or indirectly or – or I not kind connected of, at all. Well, he, his was the Lima. The Lima. Is, there we go. Yeah. Okay, I got him confused. Yeah. Okay. No, no, it's easy to get those confused. And I, I think that they were aware of one another, but I don't know that him and Blavatsky ever met. But uh, kind of interesting that they were probably the two most well-known and most influential of the time. You know, she was more of like a spiritualist, right? And maybe mm -hmm. not as much of a trying to bring demons here and do all kinds of sex magic, right. maybe. I mean, I don't yeah. know, but yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, there was another couple, Sydney and Beatrice Webb, they played a huge part in the Fabian Society. Um, they uh, wrote a book on the Fabians as well. Um, this guy named Havelock Ellis, who is kind of the uh, Kinsey of that time period he was a he was a self-proclaimed sexologist and uh, so he was a pretty they, they try to separate they tried to separate themselves from him and so you won't find too much about the fabians and him unless you look in the older stuff but uh yeah he because there was 
later on found out that he was doing things with underage kids and stuff like that. So, you know, was, but, um, okay. Yeah. I thought I, maybe I just heard about that. Um, not too, re, not too long ago. I think someone was talking about that. Was he, uh, is he, was he one of the people that like wanted to bring like sex ed to public schooling or am I thinking about a different person? Um, I, you may be correct on that. I'm not sure. I know he was pretty popular at the time, but I don't think his popularity lasted for more than a, a couple decades. Uh, but I'm sure that that was one of the things because they were big into education. That was another thing right from right off the bat. They were like, we want to basically infiltrate education so we can influence the next generations. You know, And um, one of the things I think that's really important, they had what they called Fabian permeation. So they didn't really want to wreck the existing power structure. You know, they, they were huge fans of Karl Marx, but they disagreed with him and his kind of burn it down philosophy and rebuild, build back better or whatever. They um, they wanted to gradually infiltrate and permeate the existing power structures in both the public and private sectors. And I think that's exactly what's happened. Even if a lot of people don't consider themselves Fabians or don't even know who the Fabians are, I think that that has happened in this kind of woke culture that we have now, I think it, it, you know, it could go right back to the Fabians. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, it, it's absolutely crazy. Cause I mean, I, I get annoyed with people that I would consider like pragmatists. I'm, I'm an anarchist, you know, and like, so the people that make the pragmatist arguments and things like that, I find them annoyed, but man, uh, who's been more successful? My goodness. Right. <laughs> These Fabians have really been, they're successful. Uh, you can't argue with the results. Like we're living with them right now. And I thought that was, uh, yeah, just the gradual, gradual nature and the infiltration. And, uh, and so do you know who, uh, was like the mind, like who thought of this? Do you know, and you might've already said who it was, but like, this is like a crazy, like, so this was, this was like in 1884, you said, so this mm -hmm. is like right when socialism was really becoming like kind of a popular thing, right? Yeah. And Marx, uh, Karl Marx was in London at the time. So uh, they said he could be seen in the, uh, in the different uh, li libraries in different places like that in the reading rooms and stuff. And, and Karl Marx's daughter, um, I forget her name, but um, apparently she was quite pretty. And uh, she was a Fabian. She hung out with Fabian members and, um, eventually married a Fabian who was not really a well-known guy, but um, yeah, they, they were really like uh, Emmanuel Kant was one of their other um, big heroes. Uh, Friedrich Hegel. Yeah. Guy who's kind of known for, uh, you know, like um, the Hegelian dialectic and yeah, yeah, that the whole, yeah. The young Hegelians, man. Yeah. He, yeah, he definitely like, uh, he, uh, uh, definitely. What's the word I'm looking for? I, it's been a long day. Sorry. <laughs> but he was no, influential. Cool. Yeah. He influenced yeah. a heck of a lot of like, yeah. Uh, radicals in, in that day. And yeah, definitely. He, and I've just learned in the last couple of years, how you know really influential that guy was because you still see his name everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I try to have a little bit more compassion for socialists pre-USSR 
because like all of this was theoretical at one point. And, and I think that like, it could have been argued back then. Like if, you know, if they didn't have, they didn't know economics, it sounds like a nice idea. And so like, I think of people like Emma Goldman, like she's one of my favorite writers, actually. Emma Goldman was a, was a leftist anarchist and she was like a radical communist at the time. And then she went to the USSR and went, holy crap. Uh, never mind. <laughs> she came back here and she was still like a socialist, but she was like, whatever that is, that's not what I am, you know? And that's right. pretty fascinating. Um, and so that was something also, maybe is that what happened to HG uh, Wells as well? He was looking at the, the Fabians and he, because you said that he was like, this seems like it's going to get pretty authoritarian. Or do you think it's just that they wouldn't let him in charge and that's why he got upset because you also said that too. Like he was trying to. I think that's what it was. I, I do yeah. because from when I read there, I started to do a third episode. I thought that might be a little too much, but I did continue to research and everything that I've looked into. It's like his philosophy was spot on pretty much with theirs. Uh, you know, he wrote uh, one book that people never talk about. He's got a book. I think he wrote in like 1909 called, new worlds for for old so he was already all in on the whole socialist thing and the world government thing before i don't think he wrote open conspiracy and uh, new world order until like the 1940 or something like that the early you know proponent of socialism and world government and i think that's exactly what happened he i think he was jealous and he wanted to be the leader and the older members like, uh, you know, Bernard Shaw, they didn't really want him to be the leader because he seemed like he had a huge ego. So I'm sure that I'm sure he was. I mean, is this true or not? Like someone was telling me that he ended up fighting and uh, was it World War Two? And he got like blown up by a bomb. Is that true? He got uh, is that H.G. Wells? That, I've I'm never sure. uh, never read that. Is it could possibly be true but I, i've never read that i could totally be confusing that with someone else as well <laughs> so that <laughs> you know uh, one of the things that i thought was interesting too about them is uh like uh, john ruskin was another one of their big heroes and he was an oxford professor and it's weird because he had these socialist leanings but he was also the hero of cecil rhodes who was basically where the council on foreign relations and all these globalist you know think tanks are kind of I, was, I call them corporate funding because they, they have corporate members. and But, like, it gets weird that this Ruskin guy, a socialist, was influential in both the uh, Fabians and the CFR crowd, if you will. It was before it was even called CFR. But they would have, be, would have been considered more of the uh, capitalist type, I guess. But uh, he was a very influential dude. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a, a, it was a big surprise to me. And also there were a few members that uh, kind of hung out with both groups at the time. You had um, W.T. Stead, and he was the biographer of Cecil Rhodes and uh, a big newspaper guy. I think he was known as the first muckraker, kind of like the, the National Enquirer guy. But um, he wrote the biography of Cecil Rhodes, but he also dated Annie Bizant. And they actually started a group together outside the Fabians. I forget the name of it. I don't think it lasted too long. But uh, you see guys like that. You see guys like um, Lord Roseberry was one of the, uh, I believe he was one of the uh, Rothschilds, but he was in the British government. He also hung out with the Fabians. 
um, several people like that. So uh, I, I've seen pictures of George Bernard Shaw sitting with one of the uh, other Rothschilds at these parties and whatnot, you know, and here you've got these uh, supposed the Fabian socialists with these people that come from big money, but um, you know, they were pretty open about it. Uh, the, the Fabians, especially the uh, Sydney and uh, Beatrice Webb, uh, they, they were, they kind of bragged about how they were going to get to know a lot of the well-to-do people and kind of infiltrate their camps and whatnot. And so that's exactly what they did. That's funny. Cause you always think about the Rothschilds being the infiltrators and they're trying to infiltrate the rich people. Uh, right. <laughs> but so I guess I have two questions, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so how much of it do you think they actually believed? Because as you were going through it, you like, I think this was around the beginning. You were, you were reading like, uh, like their, like not manifesto, but sort of like their white paper, right? And they were talking about like uh, what they believed, what their goals were. And it, it seemed pretty spot on, like egalitarian. It seemed pretty like uh, we don't want, you know, people. It was, you know, it was something about, it, it was very socialist. Like we want uh, fair, like funds to be, um, we don't, anyways. But these like are a, rich, crazy buttholes. Did they yeah. really believe it? Like, cause I really, I wonder sometimes because like, you know, you see all these like socialists that like make six figures and I'm like, how does that work? I mean, yeah, I'm running into your money that more in your mouth is. <laughs> I, I'm running into that more and more dude in, in my research. I, I see these, these people who are, are, have more money than one person could ever spend, but they're, they're socialists, you know, and I, it just blows me away. I, I kind of think that they believe it believed it in on one hand, but I also feel like a lot of these people are so um, they they have these fantasies, you know, what they can do and about this utopian society. And then they get in there and start to actually try and make it happen. And then, you know, it's a lot harder than it's impossible, but like, I think they just are like, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it a little bit. I'll do some good things while I do these other things. And uh, then they enjoy the money that comes in with all this stuff. Like uh, they started the London School of Economics and Social Sciences, and that's a very well-respected school in England. And shouldn't be <laughs> right, right. And they, uh, you know, the, the sole purpose for that was they wanted to create a college to train future socialists, and that's exactly what they've done. They've had people, uh, George Soros. You know, it doesn't get any bigger than him. He went there. I feel like that probably influenced him a lot. Uh, also, David Rockefeller, you know, David Rockefeller, the those two guys alone, probably the two most influential guys in the modern era. You know, they, they both have their prints on just about everything you can think of. And uh, so I thought that was huge. Um, Julian Huxley, uh, one of the. Huxley's. He was a professor there. Uh, Bertrand Russell uh, was a professor there. Uh, John Maynard Keynes. <laughs> uh, he went there. Uh, Harold Lasky was another guy who I think he worked in British government, but he was good friends with the CFR guys over in the United States. And he also hung out with the Fabians. Uh, there was another Rothschild, Lionel Walter Rothschild. 
Uh, John Dewey, the father of American education, was supposed to have been a Fabian. Uh, he was definitely influenced by them. And here's one that, that surprised me. Uh, Eric Blair, a.k.a. George Orwell, was a Fabian for a time. George Orwell, that's who I yeah. was thinking of. He's the one that got blown up, right? Did, in be. Spain in World War II, I think he was fighting fascists, and he got somebody through uh, like a little improvised like kind of grenade thing and blew him up. I'm okay. pretty okay. sure. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so All right. my listeners will yell at me later. <laughs> but I think so. Well, you know, it's interesting because he he came in a little bit later like H.G. Uh, Wells. They, they both weren't right at the start of the Fabian Society. And, and you know, George Orwell came in quite a bit later. But there's not a lot of details on it. But uh, he got disillusioned with some of the things that they wanted to do. And supposedly he said, the, well, actually, no, it was H.G. Wells was the one that said they were the new Machiavellians. So I, I'm not sure. I think he just thought they were going a little bit too hard sometimes. I mean, they are, though. That's a really apt yeah, description. They are the new Machiavellians. Yeah. You know, the stuff he wrote about was the, the exact same, you know. But, um, yeah, um, so George Orwell got disillusioned in the – thing that people say and there's no proof that I've ever I've ever seen but the Fabian started in 1884 and supposedly George Orwell when he left the Fabian society he wrote 1984 as a kind of uh, his idea of what the world would look like if the Fabians got their wish in a hundred years from the date they started so I think that's really interesting I don't know if that's true but a lot of people say that and they're pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it's close. like a mix between Brave New World and, and 1984, you know, <laughs> because people love their servitude and they're not really being forced here, you know, in, into it exactly in most cases. So in that regard, it's like Huxley was right. But then we the got double a lot speak. Of, the double yeah. speak kills yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got some it's, it's a bad situation. Um like more recently in the last, I guess, 30, 40 years, uh, Tony Blair was a Fabian socialist, the PM of Britain during the, uh, the lead up and uh, the first part of the war on terror. You know, George Bush is good buddy. And then he was Bill Clinton's good buddy. So he wrote he even wrote tracks for the Fabians and books on the Fabian Society, which I thought was interesting. Now that would make sense too, because he was like the, he was the big guy for, from the labor party. Correct. And the labor party yeah. was started by the Fabians is what you yeah. said. Correct. That's yeah, that, very interesting. Yeah. It, it was pretty interesting because just a, probably two to three years after the Fabians got going, they basically, they basically infiltrated the, the uh, liberal party and the liberal party wasn't liberal enough for them. You know, they wanted them to do more, to give more uh, handouts. And, you know, they wanted well, to. Because at one time, liberals actually believed in freedom. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, they, they wanted to end uh, abolish property rights and stuff like that. They really wanted to have more power over the schools and stuff. So they started the Labor Party. And uh, yeah, so and the Labor Party is huge now. So it's had its ups and downs, but uh, it was started by the Fabians. So. Um, yeah, that does make total sense. There's a good connection there. Um, let's just look to see any, if there's anybody else worth mentioning. Uh, 
Well, the one, one the one that I thought was interesting that you mentioned that went to the London School of Economics was Monica Lewinsky. That was a uh, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, I fascinating. Didn't look, I didn't look any deeper into that, but yeah, that is crazy. I wonder um, if she's like of some family. Like she obviously got that job interning at the White House. Like so, she must have had some sort of connections. That's that is pretty fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, it's always interesting to start looking into these people's families and who they were connected to and all that good stuff, because sometimes it's amazing what you find. Um, Elliot Abrams was one that went to the London School of Economics, and he is a big CFR guy. He also was the co-founder, I believe, of the Project for a New American Century with um, Robert Kagan, who was Victoria Newland's husband, and... Uh, what's what's his name uh bill crystal horrible bill crystal so yeah. they were the guys that uh, wrote the papers on how uh the military needs a new pearl harbor to bring it up to date and then boom 9-11 happened <laughs> so I, have you seen uh bill crystal he was in a debate not too long ago with uh with scott horton are you familiar with who scott oh, Horton yeah. is? yeah uh, yeah no i haven't seen the debate but uh, that, that's that's got to be good Oh man, it was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> He's probably never had anyone in his whole career, except maybe at the first call him out because he's like one of those guys who's like, I believe he's like uh, your token intellectual conservative, although he's not really even conservative except on maybe a couple issues. So I think he's there to pretend to be the intellectual side of the conservatives basically to keep anybody who's really got good ideas from coming in and talking. <laughs> so, well, yeah. And that's the whole thing that people don't realize is the whole neoconservative movement came out of Trotskyism. It came out of leftism and communism. Like uh, those original guys that started the neoconservative movement were Trotskyists. And so they were left and then they moved right. And so it, it is fascinating. And, and so in a lot of different ways, like neoconservatives, like, the, you know, the Bush family and all that, they, they, they're not the most conservative people. They were the liberal conservatives, like they were the liberal Republicans and things like that. And because they, yeah, I don't know. Neoconservatism is really the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like the worst thing of, yeah. Caused some terrible things. Um, another in interesting uh, one was Mick Jagger. He went to the <laughs> London School of Economics. Uh, Zechariah Sitchin, this big kind of a new age kind of guy. He he went there. Uh, JFK, uh, JFK, and Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, Pierre Trudeau, Justin's dad, mm -hmm. and uh, Janet Napolitano. Was was she the Secretary of State? I, I can't remember. I know she was in a. I think she was in the. Uh, George Bush administration could be I was wrong. Too young. <laughs> I could be wrong. It's one of the last four presidents. She was in yeah. the administration. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know that's not saying much, but um, yeah. Um, so Carol Quigley, kind of the guy who's known for writing the, the book on the council on foreign relations and that whole network. He said in, um, his uh, Anglo-American establishment book, he mentioned briefly the uh, Fabians. And he say that, said that they also created the uh, Labor Party in uh, Australia. And Australia's got a pretty big, excuse me, a pretty big Fabian uh, presence. Like I, I ran into, um, it was a news 
bulletin or whatever uh, in the last like year or so. And they were talking about the Fabians and how they were really causing trouble with the uh, the government and the elections there. And I was like, wow, they're possibly even more influential there than uh, they are presently in uh, England. Cause I don't, it's kind yeah. of hard to tell how influential they are now. I mean, you can go on their website and they say they're just a think tank. Well, that's the whole thing is that it, to me, what I get out of these Fabians is like, there's the only philosophy is power. So mm -hmm. like, I mean, ultimately that's what it comes down to. Cause you were talking earlier, you were talking about how uh, capitalism, right? The capitalists and these so-called socialists were like getting along and hanging out. And so really what do they have in common besides power? Like, cause you know, it's that fascinating thing where like, I've, I've heard this brought up. It's like, you'd think that like someone like the Koch brothers, you'd think like these like rich, powerful people, what? well, one of them's gone now. It's, I think it's just the Koch brother, but you'd think like these, uh, these people that claim to be like libertarians and things like that, like, uh, who, like reason magazine, all of those type of people, those, uh, those folks, none of them supported like Ron Paul. Ron Paul mm. was actually like, I want complete free market, laissez faire capitalism. And, and ultimately these people don't want that. They want, they want, uh, monopoly. They want government yeah. influence monopoly. And so, it, it, and so, those capitalists are pretty damn socialist really when it comes down to it. It's just socialism for me, you know? Right. And so I think yeah. so. it really does just come down to power. And I think that is why you see these capitalists getting along so well with these like leftist authoritarians too, because really when it comes down to it, they want the government to have the power and yeah. they, yeah. and they want the government to have the power and for them to give them kickbacks and then they can, they want to be part of that power elite and share in that power. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we don't, you know, unless it's the black market, in my opinion, I don't think we have a free market at all. You know, and I don't know when we have, is, is it like had to have been the gray and black flag behind me, the agorist flag. That... Right. <laughs> yeah. Because like these, these elites, you know, they've kind of taken over. Uh, they've been in charge as long as I can remember. And uh, long before that, and, you know, it's like uh, a protectionist racket. You know, they don't want, like you said, laissez-faire. They want a protectionist racket where just them and their friends do really well. And then, then they, they even go for regulations because they know the little guys can't keep up. You know, so mm -hmm. it's crazy. It's um, it's really wild, man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so then you were talking. Okay, so that was the interesting thing to me as you were talking about how um, their whole thing is that. It, do you want to talk about how they call themselves the tortoise? Do you want to talk about how they, it's like a slow and steady? And uh, that I found really fascinating, especially that quote, uh, why they call themselves Fabians. That was really fascinating. Yeah, so uh, they called themselves the Fabians after Fabius Maximus, who way, way back in the day, he was fighting Hannibal. And Hannibal was notorious for just destroying his enemies. And Fabius, he decided instead of taking him head on, let's wait until the, the time is right and wait until he has a weak moment. And that's what he did. And he attacked and he actually beat Hannibal in that one battle. And so that's what they named their group after. Slow and steady wins the race. 
and they had a, a saying that's in their their logo was a turtle. Now they, they don't have that anymore, but if you go you can go back and see it on different things. It says, For the time to strike, you must wait. But when I strike, I strike hard. And a lot of people may have seen this, but they have this beautiful, well, I won't say beautiful, but it's a, a stained glass window. It's called the Fabian window, and it's in Beatrice Webb's home. She was one of the founders, and I guess her home's like a it's, it's like a museum now for the Fabians. And it has a wolf in sheep's clothing. I saw that. I was yeah. looking at that. That's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting, right? Yeah. And it shows H.G. Wells on the other side. It shows H.G. Wells and um, George Bernard Shaw. And they're taking a hammer to the earth. And it says remold nearer to the heart's desire. And it's, it's like a quote from some, some book that must've been pretty influential back then. I forget the name, but basically they're saying we're going to remold the world the way we want it. And, you know, that's huge. That's a huge yeah. thing to, to, I mean, just to look at it, it's, it's really saying something. So it's really telling to me. Yeah. It, and to me, that almost answers the question, do they believe their own hype or not? Because like, do they believe, you know, do they uh, aspire to um, the things that they talk about? And I don't think they do. I mean, I, them having that wolf in sheep's clothing is pretty telling to me. I mean, yeah. I, they, you know, they could argue and say that's just like, uh, well, I don't even know if they would argue that, but because I don't think they want to be that out in the open with it. But that could be part of what they'd say their infiltration, right, is being a yeah. wolf in sheep's clothing. But um, yeah, that is so funny to me, dude. And and the thing that it made me think of too was when you were talking so much about how they are doing this slow infiltration. Uh, you hear, and th this can get us to the next topic if you want. We can talk about uh, Klaus. Uh, when Klaus talks about how he goes, half the Canadian government, half the parliament, they're all part of my stooges. They're all World Economic Stooges. And then we find out, like from you, that the World Economic Forum was started by Fabians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it, basically what he's saying is half of Canada's parliament are all my Fabian socialists. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because... Like I said, I keep running into this, these guys who are really, really well to do. And, and but the money is not enough. They have to start these organizations that controls the world. And of course, it's always under for the greater good. And we're here, here to help and, and make everything equal and all that stuff. But, you know, it's it's so obvious to me that that is a cover, even if they don't believe it's a cover. It's a cover because they of the things that they do, you know, no, no human being can handle the responsibility of deciding what's right and what's wrong for others, thousands and thousands of other people. But that's always the way it seems to go with these, these guys who have a lot of money. I, I think um, before uh, Klaus was the director, I believe it was Morris Strong who was the director and he was the guy who, was an oil baron from Canada and he, for whatever reason, decided to go into environmentalism and he was, uh, ended up being a good buddy with Al Gore. And I think those are those two together came up with carbon credits and that whole scheme. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so he was in with the uh, economic forum 
and also with the UN and with the Club of Rome and all these other organizations. That's the craziest thing to me because, I mean, when I was a young man, I, you know, I'm a beaner. So I thought I had to be a Democrat. So like I was a young, poor beaner, you know? Uh, so, and then you just, so I just believed every, like I was like, you know, I had socialist tendencies. I fucking, I liked Bernie Sanders. I was a real dummy um, around 2015. And, uh, it's just funny to me, like the things that I just took for granted and just believed. And then you really just find out that like the whole, uh, the whole climate change narrative, it's just about power control and money. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's pretty wild. You know, and it, it's, you know, it's really disgusting when you look into it. It's like uh, so many of these organizations that are supposed to be about helping people. When you really look into it, it's all about money and it's all about like, like when you come in with all these aid packages for um, even like going back, I'm going to date myself, but going back to hurricane Katrina, you know, millions of dollars wasted or lost completely. And it's happened during the, uh, the hurricane in uh, Haiti. I forget the name of it now, but um of course, the, uh, you know, the Clintons had that whole thing taken care of that and everything. And the Red Cross lost like, I think it was five billion. The Red Cross couldn't even find. But these kind of things happen all the time with these groups that are supposed to be humanitarian groups and supposed to be helping people. And I heard it's so, a stat out of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, it's so obvious to me now that a lot of these things, you know, there may, I'm sure there's good people that in those organizations. Yeah, but there's absolutely. a lot of bad people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there are absolutely true believers. Like, I know that there are bleeding heart, good, like liberals or even progressives, even socialists, even communists that like really believe this and this is going to fix the world. And they think that they have the answers. And it's the people behind them that are telling them what to do that are just really just they're hiding their devil horns. Uh, but I had heard a stat from, uh, from Haiti, actually from that was, it was a big earthquake, right? Is was, was an earthquake and then a tsunami or something. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but what happened was like, I think it was, I think it was the red cross, right? That they had got like this huge amount of money. And then out of that, they had built two houses. Yeah, <laughs> like it was something horrible. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! And and then uh, someone was saying, and like I obviously don't know the validity of this. I can't pull this up right now. But they were saying that like basically uh, Hillary Clinton, she was able to pay for her in, uh, Chelsea's wedding from that money, like from uh, the money from Haiti. And uh, and then also one of the people that was working for the Clinton administration was caught trying to smuggle children out of Haiti. Did you hear that? that <laughs> I've heard interesting. stuff about She got that. arrested. I think she got in trouble. Yeah, she was trying to. I, th those people are so, it, you know, it's like you hear so much about them that you kind of like take it for granted how horrible they really are. But they are just horrible human beings that will do anything for money. She and, got so close to being president. So close. <laughs> so close. And you, you know who does good information? I kind of like backed away from all the kind of mainstream people for a long, long time. And I still don't really listen to any of them, but uh, Peter Schweitzer, I've kind of started looking into him a little bit more because he was the Clinton cash guy. And I kind of took that for granted because that was so popular. I never read it, but I did read a book 
of his, uh, it was called Secret Empires. I think that came out before Clinton Cash. And he really lays a lot of this out on both Democrats and Republicans. He's kind of known as, because I guess he's a conservative, he, he's known as only busting their balls, but he actually talks about conservatives and how they, they are, you know, they're corrupt too. And they're taking money and bribes and how their family, like it's totally legal for a congressman's son, daughter, brother, sister, parents, friends to take gifts from foreign entities and from businesses. It's the only people that can't do it is the congressperson and their husband or wife. And you can be a, a you can be a dual citizen in the United States. Any any of our representatives can be dual citizens. They don't have to even disclose that. Is that so, can a president though? Does he? They can't be a dual citizen, correct? Or can they? I would. I you know that's a good question. I haven't seen that. Surely that they have a, a law against that. I would think. But okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, yeah, so many of our sitting congressmen and are have dual citizenships. Absolutely. You know, you've you've got this whole, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine thing going on. And I think regardless of how anybody feels about it, like the, the you know, it wasn't that long ago that the Clintons were all about Putin and doing business with Russia and the Uranium One deal mm -hmm. that allowed Russia to basically control, I think, 20 percent of the world's uranium. And um, I mean, it just goes on and on. And the Russians, you know donated so much money to the Clinton foundation and Bill Clinton was speaking for like this ridiculous amount. I forget now what his speaking engagements were in Russia while she was the secretary of state, you know, these things that I think even 20 years before that would have never went over, you know, there would have been huge investigations and I think people would have, I mean, there's always been corruption, but it's it continues to get worse. And I think we're at a point now, this is just my opinion where our representatives are so crooked that nobody really, for the most part, wants to bust anybody on the other side for doing really bad things, or at least it's very rare because they're probably doing them too, or their side's definitely mm -hmm. doing them. So it's just corruption on either side. Well, that's where, that's where you kind of, where I start, you know, wondering, it's like, there's a reason why they didn't really bust, uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. There's a reason mm -hmm. why we're not hearing like, okay, I guess we're like Ghislaine Maxwell is getting convicted for trafficking all these children to who, 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 who were the clients, you know, like that. We'll never hear that. Like, I right. think that was like a great meme. It was like the first uh, person convicted of, uh, of like uh, trafficking children to no one. <laughs> right. it's like it's you know it's fascinating man and it's like and they won't let us know because and they're not going to bring this to light because that everyone's hand is dirty right every single person in the elite and you know i mean i can't say everyone i hope ron paul didn't but you know <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean it's like you never right. know man it's like it goes to the very top and it's just yeah. gross it is man and it's like one of the things that I've learned is like these tax exempt foundations and I don't really care that they don't pay taxes, but I mean, cause the taxes are just going to get wasted anyway, but yeah, I wish no one is, got taxed. But, you know, but the facts is the fact yeah. is they do this for one. So they can 
you know, not have to pay money. And then they're, but they're just horrible people. So they have these uh, so-called philanthropic organizations, you know, and they just do that. I think it's called, uh, I think Adam Curry calls it, um, oh gosh, what is the term? I think he made it up, but it's, uh, oh, self, moral self-licensing. So they uh, do something good to justify doing something bad. And I think that, in my opinion, I think that covers a lot of what's going on. I think that covers George Soros. I think that's exactly what he does. I think that's what the Rockefellers have done. Uh, you know, they have all these so-called charities, which they do do some good work on some things, but it's mainly to get power and control over countries and to make these countries, their governments adhere to whatever they want to do with their country inside it. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really genius, man. Like, uh, I, I think about, okay, so we can go back to like the, um, like climate change agenda, right? Like simultaneously they're, they're telling us that we need to get down to net zero and that at the same time they're passing laws so that like, you can't do it this way or you can't do it this way. You can only do it this way. And so they do this where it's like, it's, it's about power and consolidation. And so they don't want you to be able to really um, like, you know, be self-sufficient in any way, shape or form. And um, it's just outrageous, dude. Like, um, and, and it's like, and it's the timing of it. And, and it's also calculated because like, you know, I, you've, you've heard people um, talk about like the energy and carbon that it, that goes into making one of those windmills, yeah. is more yeah. than <laughs> is more <laughs> it's it's something crazy and then at, at the same time all of those windmills is they have like a limited date they're like 10 years or something like that then they go they can't be recycled and then they go straight into a landfill and so there's landfills full of those wind machines and yeah. you're like and this is your answer you know what i yeah. mean yeah. this is what we're going to switch to also like what was the first thing to fail in texas when it got when it froze over oh is those windmills yeah they, <laughs> like you know it, it's yeah. just crazy man so it, it is about power and consolidation and it it's these people are like literally attempting to like starve us they want us like hungry they want us desperate because then we're easier to control and manipulate like i think i think about it right now it's like at, at a time where gas is outrageously expensive, everything's more expensive. JBiz is saying we're not going to pump any oil. Like we were net exporters. Now we are just what? Now we're going to pay ten dollars a gallon pretty soon. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. And, and, and at uh, this time, that oh sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're totally right. And I think uh, the the apathy of the public, man. I think a lot of people feel helpless, especially after January 6th, you know, the insurrection is like, mm -hmm. what? but um, I think a lot of people feel helpless now and the things they're putting up with, it's, it's just mind blowing. It's like the, you know, the corruption and, and the way that these things work, it's pretty much out in the open for anybody to see. And I think people are running from the truth now. You know, they don't want to even want to talk about things anymore. Uh, they put all their faith, a lot of people in, in Trump and how he was going to deliver them and everything. And now that that didn't work out, I think people have just given up and they're scared and they, they want to just ignore things and pretend like it's going to go away. But things aren't going to go away. It's going to get worse. You know, I hate to tell people, but this is this is a plan. It's it's purposeful. 
it's going to get worse because they, like you said, they want us to suffer. So we'll put up with whatever the rest of their plan consists of. And I think we know by the World Economic Forum and the UN Agenda 2030 what they want to do. So it's it's all just working out for the for the elites. So one thing that I've noticed, man, it, and it just your series again, man, everyone needs to go back and they need to listen to your uh, your series that you did on the Fabian Socialists. And then they need to also start donating to your Patreon. Uh, Thank you. But, Thank you. <laughs> but uh, definitely, man, like when you just hear about how calculated they were and they're and like their whole thing is like, we're a turtle. We're going to take our time. We're and we're not going to strike until the time's right. And then we're going to strike hard. And I think about people like John Maynard Keynes, that child molesting piece of crap, uh, you know, and as a libertarian, like I already have issues with John Maynard Keynes because, you know, I'm Austrian school of economics. And so I think that Keynesian school is just garbage. Uh, but I also think about how like he had the perfect excuse to excuse government spending. And that's why he became so, such a popular person. And I always just thought, you know, the government was picking John Maynard Keynes school of economics when they obviously knew. I mean, it's about a balanced budget, this, that and the other, like either the Chicago school or the Austrian school was obvious. I mean, that was just normal economics for the longest time. And then out of nowhere, we, you know, Keynes comes around. But you realize that Keynes being one of these Fabian socialists, he knew what he was doing. This was a calculated thing as well. This was about debasing the currency. This was the long game. This has always been about how, I mean, this was always about like the technocracy and about how like power and control. And like, obviously I don't think John Maynard's Keynes had any idea of like uh, a digi dollar at the time, you know, but I mean, that is what they're moving towards. You know, yeah. they're getting yeah. us poor and desperate and they're spending money out of oblivion. They're telling us like, oh, we're, we're, we might give people checks because the cat, because a gas is so expensive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so we're just going to dump gasoline on the fire. Okay, great. <laughs> like they're yeah. not that stupid. They absolutely know economic principles and we're watching them do the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes we get frustrated because we're yelling into the wind and normies, they don't get it like normies don't understand that because of public schooling and, and indoctrination. Right. They're just they're just dumbed down. They, they're watching yeah. Netflix and they're watching Pornhub and they're eating Krispy Kreme and they got their triple jabs and they're just they're asleep. <laughs> unfortunately, the poor bastards. And and unfortunately, but you find out I like especially this has been on purpose. This is like, yeah. and right now that turtle is getting ready to strike like Fabius. Yeah. It really feels like they're, they're ready to. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they're all, I mean, this feels like the final stages really like they're getting close to the, the finish line. And, um, you know, I was thinking even with, I did a, a couple, well, I did one show. I'm going to do a second on the skull and bone society. And they started in 1833 and, they were they had similar goals and aims as the Fabians. So it's like th there's these elite groups that have been around for a long, long time. And these plans have been underway. So, you know, no wonder things are so bad because a lot of these things have been done in the dark. And a lot of these guys have gotten into governments and they've been quiet about their membership in these different clubs and these different societies. But all along. They've been working 
quietly to accomplish their goals because it's it's more than just a belief. It's almost like a religion to them. You know, they, they feel like the state is the almighty God. And, and as long, I guess they feel like as long as their people are in charge, they, that things will, you know, they can do what they want to do because they don't seem to care. You know, it, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. They'll, they'll be for implementing this authoritarian law. Yeah. They hate, hated Trump so bad. He was the next Hitler. So it's like, well, yeah, there's going to be another Trump in a few years. So why would you make these authority, authoritarian laws that this, next Trump could use against you, you know, and it doesn't make any sense, but because they know they own the media and they know that the, those <laughs> rules will never be uh, used equally. They'll never, you know, and right. It's, right. Yeah. It is really fascinating. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. So one thing that I was thinking as, as you're talking about this as being a religion, it was something fascinating that you had mentioned during this was that, uh, that they were using Darwinism to, uh, prove that there was no God. They're like, oh, we're gods, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of that whole thing. And then another aspect that you had said was that like, this was Christianity minus Christ. And right. so it's, so it really is a religion and it is religious to these people. These are the principle. This is what they're doing. And I, someone was, had, had told me, and I need to look this up myself, that actually that Darwin uh, his expedition and all of the, all of those things, he was actually funded by the Rothschilds. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. As much yeah. funding as they've done for different different purposes and, over the years, so it, it's almost like they got what they were looking for. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and so they used Charles Darwin to go out and go prove go go prove this come back with this theory, you know, something similar to this, you know, what we want you to find, you know, and then, yeah. yeah. And so it is, it's really calculated. And so people find it like people talk, people don't notice patterns. And if you start noticing patterns, all of a sudden you're crazy, you yeah. know, and it, it's, <laughs> you know, and they're everywhere. And yeah, it's the same. Basically it's the same methods that uh, the elites have been using for ever, probably going back to even before Rome. It's the same type of psychological warfare. It's just now they have technology that they can use to spread it around to, you know, millions of people, but uh, they use the same, you know, pitting the people against one another while in the background, all kinds of things are going on. You know, they keep us looking at like the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and the Trump's and the Biden's all the clowns watch the clowns. Yeah. Yep. But, they, you know, that way people won't, won't pay attention to what's going on. That's really important, you know, and who's pulling the strings. And it's always the same, you know, like every administration is just full of council and foreign relations members. Uh, this Biden administration, I, I lost count at about 24 council and foreign relations members, about six Atlantic council members. Uh, I think five Aspen Institute members, including the, their director. Uh, there's, four or five open society members from George Soros's group. This has been a crazy administration as far as elites coming from these uh, globalist, if you will, um, think tanks and organizations. And uh, one of my favorite writers, Dennis L. Cuddy, he says, people are policy. And he says that, that you don't have to have this grand conspiracy if the people already think alike, they've been educated alike, they, they belong to the same think tanks and, 
and, and tax exempt groups. And so there's not even a need for them to have this behind the scenes, you know, smoky cigars and you know this quiet, uh, secretive group meeting because they think alike anyway, and they're all leading us towards this World Economic Forum type of plan. Uh, you know, and if anyone, I haven't delved super deep into the World Economic Forum, and I plan on doing that, but I have looked at a lot of their young global leaders and people like that, and it's even, you know, a lot of people know it's people like Tulsi Gabbard and um, people like, uh, well, that, even that Vladimir Putin. That one-eyed SOB, what's his name? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. The, yeah. the conservative. Right. Let's yeah. give up the guns. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, even Vladimir Putin and uh, so Justin Trudeau. I'm curious about that one because yeah. I've heard that so many times, and I've heard it out of Klaus's mouth twice. There's yeah. two separate videos that I found, at least myself, that I found two yeah. videos of Klaus talking. One, he calls him Putin. Uh, so yeah. it just makes me hungry when I hear him talk about it. Right. And then the other time he says Vladimir Putin, uh, yeah. or Vladimir Putin again. Uh, and, but someone was talking to me. So th there's that whole argument that, that the young global leaders initiative or whatever it is, didn't exist at the time, but it, that it, he was part of a precursor group possibly. Yeah. 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 Something like that. And that, but someone was also trying to explain that like during those, that time period where, uh, where Klaus says that he was part of it, he was just a member of the KGB. And so yeah. he wasn't even, so that, that also is fascinating. So I'm not discounting that. I think that he probably was part of that young global initiative. And I find it fascinating that like Klaus picked him and it was almost like a kingmaker. He was like, yeah. you're going to be in yeah. charge. Yeah. And so that has even bigger implications if he was, because he was yeah. just some obscure member of the KGB. He wasn't, he wasn't even in charge or anything. Yeah. And I, you know, I've done like the five part uh, series on Ukraine and it's mostly just showing what the, uh, what our government and the Western elite ha have been doing to Ukraine, even going back to like right after world war two, the U S was funding Nazis to spy on the Soviets in Ukraine. But I am working on another show because, you know, I've started looking into this stuff and it's like, well, I don't know, man. Russia, they've been down with UN Agenda 21, 2030. They they were down with the World Economic Forum, and, and people say that they've severed ties, but they're still on the website. And you know, uh, Putin has given speeches there and committed to their plans. Uh, Spurbank is the the biggest bank in Russia, and it is working on a digital currency with J.P. Morgan. Uh, you know, they've had QR codes there. So if you wanted to do certain things, you had to have a QR code under COVID. And and despite what people say, uh, if you look at like the Moscow Times and RT, they have had uh, lockdowns. They've had to wear masks. They even were supposed to wear gloves at certain times. Uh, and also another thing that I didn't realize until recently is Russia was the first on the scene with the uh, clot shots. So they had their uh, Sputnik V, which mm -hmm. was also funded by Spurbank. And uh, I forget the guy's name, but Spurbank is the guy that runs at this oligarch. Uh, his last name's Greff. And he was a treasury secretary or tre he was on the treasury of the World Economic Forum. And as far as I know, he's still on there. Her Hermann Greff, I think is his name. So, you see Dang. a lot of these connections and you're like, man, I really want to sympathize me anyway with uh, 
Russia and what the West has been doing and NATO has been doing. But at the same time, I am not ready to, to say that they're heroes of individual liberty because I just don't yeah. think that's the case. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I honestly, I don't buy it either. And uh, so, like, one thing that I think about a lot actually is I, I think that this is all just a, it's just a big chess game, and that it's it's all just baloney. And that I, I mean, this is just thoughts that come to my head. I don't know, but yeah, I think yeah. that uh, like probably Putin is just playing his role. He's playing the heel. He's the bad guy right now, you know. And uh, he's still eating caviar. He's doing fine. You know, yeah. and, and this is all just about having another Cold War because, my God, like the Middle East has fallen apart. Nobody believes. I mean, who could you point to as like a scary enough villain right now that we need to do a military buildup? Nobody. I mean, nobody, nobody. So like, and nobody even thought that Russia by itself was scary enough. And nobody thought China was scary enough. But if you team them together, like, you know, you know yeah, what I mean? Then yeah, you got these yeah. two bad guy alliance. Then all of a sudden the military industrial complex, we need to build up because, you know, I mean, Space Force was also falling on its face. Like, yeah, do we really need lasers in space and this and that, you know, like Reagan tried that, you know, 20 years ago and it didn't work, <laughs> you know? And um, so I really, sometimes that's kind of my suspicion that this is really yeah. just another second cold war that we have our big scary villain again. And now we need to, you know, Vladimir Putin, he's doing all these horrible, like all these horrible war crimes as we're, you know, still destroying <laughs> and, yeah, man, and, you know, doing all these horrible things. You know. Yeah, He'll disappear to eventually to Argentina and we'll yeah. read about it. Like when we're old, you know, but yeah, I've had that thought and i've also had i'll quickly say this i've also had the thought that well, perhaps he was down with this whole world economic forum new world order agenda but he wanted russia to have a bigger part in it because you know they were traditionally they've been a, a very influential country in the western alliance nato and all, all those countries they didn't want them to have a big part and so they kept pushing them by putting the bases around their country and different things like that and uh, so you know, maybe that's what led up to it. That's just another thought. And, but also I'll say one more quick thing. When, when you look at these wars, these modern wars, at least since Vietnam, and me personally, I don't believe that they wanted to win the wars. Like they didn't want to win the physical war. That wasn't the goal. The goal was what can we do while this war is going on? What can we get away with? How much funding can we get to our cronies? How many policies can we change because people will make them afraid that they're going to be invaded or killed. So they'll put up with whatever we want to do. And so it's what will happen just because of Russia going into Ukraine. It makes me wonder what's going to happen in the long run. And will that put America and the rest of the world closer to the World Economic Forum plan, closer to UN Agenda 21, 2030? I think so. so that's just kind of my thinking. there. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, odd man. That was awesome. That was fantastic. I appreciate you so much, dude. You dropped the hammer. That was fucking super. That was mega knowledge. Uh, thanks brother. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I'll come back anytime, man. Thanks, man. Uh, do you want to tell everybody just a little bit of, uh, or tell, push your Patreon again. Let's get these people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So I, I got a Patreon. I got three tiers on there. But what I do, I'll advertise for you too, if you want me to, as long as it's not anything I don't 
disagree with. But uh, I put the shows up early and I put up extra posts and different things like that for my people. But like um, if you want to check it out, it's patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. And uh, like I said, the uh, if you just want the regular show, it's theoddmanout.podbean.com. And also, quickly, if I could, I do a show on Thursdays, actually right after this show. It's called Boiler Room with a lot of friends, and they have a website called Alternate Current Radio, and they got tons of shows on there. These guys have been doing this. They're OGs. They've been doing it for like seven, eight years. So check out alternatecurrentradio.com for my show and a ton of other shows. Awesome, man. And then you also do a monthly uh, one with uh, with some friends of ours, too, right? You guys yes. do the, yeah, the Meeting, Meeting of the Minds. Minds. Yeah, yeah, Meeting of the Minds. And we just we don't rehearse that at all. You know, we just, like, remind each other that, that day. And we're like, oh, it's tonight. And then we just, like, start <laughs> talking, see just where it goes. Good guys, yeah. though. Great guys. I like those guys. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to hit the outro, and then, uh, yeah. All right, man. All right.